Holy Father, we bow before your presence um, to thank you that none of these things take you by surprise. And yet at the same time, Lord, our hearts uh, go out to the family members and loved ones and friends of these two young people. I can't imagine the, the, the incredible hurt and pain and grief and loss Two young lives with promising futures gone. Lord Jesus, will you make yourself known to these families in sweet, wonderful ways? Will you bring comfort and hope and healing, Lord? Father, I pray that even in the midst of all of this, that, 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 that the tender mercies and grace and the gospel of our Savior would usher into the hearts and lives of those who are grieving over the loss. Father, we pray for the young person, or the, the, the one who did this. Lord, I pray for brokenness and repentance, and I pray that you'll work in his life. Lord Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we, we, we're just reminded, Lord, that life is a gift and life is fragile and that the only true ultimate meaning to life is the life of Jesus living in us in this life. So God, strengthen and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. I love you, fellowship. Uh, just to hear the hearts of our people cry out to the Lord and uh, Let's continue to remember and to encourage ourselves that when we hear of tragedies, um, forgive me for, I'm not rambling, this is intentional. My, one, of the, one of the great things that happened to me, a guy that mentored me when I was about 18, 19 years old, um, said this to me, he used to do this, whenever he heard sirens, or he'd be driving down the road or down the highway and see an accident. He would, he would stop whatever he was doing and pray. And I want to encourage us to do that, to get in the habit that when we are hit with tragedies and we, with bad news, uh, rather than the first reaction being to stew and, and marinate in anger and frustration, let's train our hearts to pray and they ask God to step into this and to, and to use it. Okay, we've got a long ways to go in a short time to get there, but we've already been ministered to greatly by these baptisms. God has spoken to all of our hearts. Um, we're inaugurating a series today, and I, I said this last week, and, and I don't want to oversell or anything because I don't know what the Spirit of God is going to do. I know what we're praying about the Spirit of God doing in our church. Um, but this series, this series of messages, I believe in the almost 11 years that I've been here, uh, is the most important series of messages that I've ever given. And the reason why it's so important is not because of pizzazz and not because of numbers that we're going to share and not because of any dazzling, uh, compelling uh, sense of vision, although this is compelling, but it has more to do with our identity. It has to do with who we are as a church, and it has to do with what we're praying about in terms of a real movement of discipleship grabbing us. 
and for us to understand what we're really all about. Now, you've heard most of what I'm going to share this morning. You've heard me say this before. And you're going to hear uh, what, what, what William and Glenn, and I'll come back and finish off the series. It's not that we haven't heard this before. My passion, now hear me on this, it's not that we haven't heard this. It's that I'm passionate about us becoming this. Did you hear what I said? It's not that we haven't heard it. It's that there's a great need for us to become it. So it doesn't become just, just, just slogans or words or that we're disciple-making church or a bunch of processes and classrooms and information, but it becomes an organic movement of the Spirit of God in our church that we're deeply marked by this. Our mission statement is, is this. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus. We exist. We exist to glorify God. How? By making disciples of Jesus who love God passionately and love others unconditionally. Our tendency is to skip over the dominant verbal expression in that, that, that mission statement and go to love God passionately, love others unconditionally. No, the centerpiece, the centerpiece of that, that prepositional phrase, we exist by or to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus. Making disciples of Jesus. Discipleship in the New Testament is not a series of processes, although it's true. We're going to hear about this, and, and Glenn has been so helpful to our team and to our church in helping us to unpack the, the, the processes. But what, what I want us to understand is that discipleship in the New Testament is not primarily, primarily a bunch of systems that we, we, we get involved in. It is, it is organic. It is the life of Jesus that, that, that works its way out in and through us. You understand what I'm saying here? It's not primarily, first of all, a how-to. It is a who. It is a what inside of us. It is the passion of our Savior. It is the reason why Christianity exists. It is the reason why the church exists. It is the reason why we are saved. We belong to him. It is, that's the reason. We were born to reproduce. We were born to make disciples. Jesus is all about the business of building his church. And the way he's doing that is by, by making disciples, followers of Jesus. So my task today, I, I, what I'm going to do is just lay some theological, biblical groundwork and I'm going to cover three, three anchor hallmark passages in the gospel, one of them in Matthew and two of them over in Luke, that unpack what this call to discipleship is all about. Now, let me just say something here, too, though. We have to ask ourselves some very important searching questions repeatedly. These are basic questions, and I, I like to ask you this because I, 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 I live in this myself. One is, have you taken the initiative to share the gospel with someone recently? 
When is the last time you verbalized your faith to an unbeliever? I don't mean just your presence, but you've taken the initiative to share the gospel with someone. Um, has God used you to lead anyone to Christ in the last 12 months? Have you seen fruitfulness in your Christianity, in your walk with God, in your, wit in your witness? Third question, uh, are you helping others to become like Jesus, to live like Jesus, and to share Jesus with others? I didn't say if you have a small group or, or Bible study or you're studying something or you're excited about what other Christians are doing, are we taking it full circle? So much of what we pass off as discipleship is not discipleship. So much of what we say when we disciple somebody is not really discipling them. Uh, we may be mentoring them and helping them with life lessons. We, we may be helping them to understand the Bible. We might be helping them with struggles in their own hearts and lives. But I had to tell you, as you read about discipleship in the New Testament, discipleship always, always points toward reproduction. It, 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 is, it is missional in its very, very nature. You know, and the, the other question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Why is it that some Christians in churches become ingrown and stale and eventually wither? Why is that? Why is it? Why, why is it that you, 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 get, you get into churches and, and it's always about us? It's about our church. It's about what we are doing. It's about our processes. It's about our programs. It's about how we're feeling about things. Even in our personal lives, why, why is there staleness? And you can be sitting in classes and small groups and coming to Bible studies and reading the Word and doing all of that. Why, why is it this staleness? I've wrestled with this issue for years. And I, and I got to tell you, I, one, one, there are many reasons for it, but I, I, I think one of the big reasons is an inadequate definition and view of spiritual maturity. It's a big problem. I think we're complicit in that. In fact, in fact, I think even myself, I've been at a bit of blame in all of this too. We, we, we unwittingly communicate to people that, you know, if you know the word and you apply certain processes in the word, that you're spiritually mature. But I got to tell you, as you read the scriptures... It's not only, it's not only, uh, how do I say this? It's not only doctrinal or didactic, there's praxis. It's not just the flow of information that comes inside of us. It's not just clarity with regard to our doctrinal statement or about what the Christian life is all about or what the book of Esther is about or what the book of Matthew is about. It's not just about that. 
It's not just the grand nouns of Christianity. Christianity is lived out in the verbal position. And so if you just define spiritual maturity as understanding content and not committing certain sins that you used to before and you're going through your, your practices or you're going to your small groups or you're going to your accountability groups or this kind of thing, all of that, but there is no, no evangelism. There's no outreach. There's no, there's no proclamation side of your life you got a little bit of a deformed definition of spirituality and spiritual maturity. So, I, I actually believe that discipleship is the pathway to authentic spiritual maturity. <laughs> Baptizing and teaching but that's subordinate to in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's in verse 19 says, go therefore making and make disciples of all the nations. How do you do that? Baptizing and teaching, baptizing and teaching, baptizing and teaching. And the baptism there, he's referring to not simply water baptism, but in a broader sense, he's calling us to call others to identify with Jesus. Inherent in that implication is evangelism and teaching. It's those twin things together. You don't make disciples by just teaching. It is calling people into a dynamic relationship with, with, with Jesus. And so the term disciple in its broadest sense means learner or follower. That's what it's generically mean. But when Jesus uses the term, as we'll see here uh, in a few moments, he's using, it, he's using it in a very specific sense that you become like Christ and you do what Jesus did. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? That you become like Christ and you do what Jesus did. Now, we need to be careful that we don't view ourselves as an either-or church. We have this terrible binary tendency. Uh, you know, I've heard people use this, and this, this, is, this, is, this, is not, this is not right. Are you a disciple-making church, or are you an evangelistic church? Well, that's a, that's a false dichotomy. That's a false dichotomy. Number one, if you're a disciple-making church, you are, by very definition, an evangelistic church. Uh, you're, are, you a disciple, are you an evangelistic church or a teaching church? Well, no, no, I, 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 I throw all of that out the window. I throw, I throw those distinctions out the window. If you're a disciple-making church, you are an evangelistic church and you are a teaching church if you're going to be faithful to Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. And so our vision here at Fellowship Bible Church is that we aspire to be a disciple-making church, which means we will teach the Bible and reach the lost. Because that's authentic discipleship. That's what it's all about. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these passages because if you have listened to me preach over the last seven, eight, nine, ten years, you have heard me allude to these things repeatedly. But I want to call us back, call us back to what I really believe um, are the three primary emphases through the Gospels and the New Testament 
when we talk about a call to discipleship, what are we called to? What do we mean by that when we call, talk about a call to discipleship? If we're followers of Jesus, what, what, is, what do we mean by that? And, I, and I actually, actually I, there are nine words that I'm going to use, and I put them in the present tense, but I put them underneath these three categories, these three biblical categories. These nine words represent, and I put them in the present tense, these nine words represent the call or the teaching of discipleship. I would not just say in the Gospels, I would say throughout the New Testament. But they're in these three categories. So let me give you category number one. A call, uh, discipleship is a call to one, walk a new path. Secondly, discipleship is a call to embrace a new identity. And then thirdly, discipleship is a call to live on mission. You can, all of the theology of discipleship and what does it mean to be a disciple is found in those three primary callings. It is a call to walk a new path, it is a call to embrace a new identity, and it is a call to live on mission. First of all, it is a call to walk a new path. We pick this up in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus calls the first disciples. And I'm going to read this uh, short paragraph and make a few observations. Verse 18 says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their, and their father and followed him. Now, admittedly, the word disciples not used in this paragraph. But I, I would suggest to you, according to the law first mentioned, this is the template throughout the New Testament in which discipleship is lived out. It's the law first mentioned. How Jesus called his first disciples is what he does and what the New Testament teaches that, that, that discipleship is really all about. It's an all-in perspective. Just as Peter and the two sons of Zebedee responded to Jesus, they were all-in. And I love the all-in joy of new Christians, the wonder of a new adventure. But I wonder what happens to us. What happens to us? You know how you felt when you first became a follower of Jesus, when you first gave your heart and life to Jesus, you repented of your sins, you trusted him as your Savior and Lord. You're all in. What Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 was not just a distant thing. You experienced that. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You felt different. You felt new. You were there. You wanted that. And I say to myself, my goodness, Crawford, what's happened to you? And what's happened to you? Why do we get jaded? Why do we get cynical? What, what takes place in our lives? And this call to discipleship is a call to walk this new path. And here are the three words, three of the nine words, clustered around this response, the walking of a new path. First, it is responding. It is saying yes to Jesus. 
When Jesus comes and it says, follow me, in verse 20, it says, immediately they left their nets and followed them. And then the two sons of Zebedee, the brothers, immediately they left the boat and, and, and their father and followed him. They dropped it immediately. They, they weren't going in divergent directions simultaneously. They weren't adding Jesus to their lifestyle. They weren't saying, I'm going to continue to be a fisher, fisherman, but I'll do this Jesus gig part-time. They weren't adding that. They, they dropped everything. It was radical. I am going to follow. I am going to follow. And I happen to believe that we do not challenge people strong enough. And our desire to not offend people and, this, and, and you know, to present Christianity as if it's sane and it meets you where you are and Jesus comes alongside of you in your journey. We don't demand enough of people, but I find Jesus in the gospel demanding people to make decisions. There's requirement here. No, no, you can't be a follower and continue to do what you're doing. And so the whole issue is responding, responding to him. The second present tense under this whole banner of walk a new path is following. That speaks of lordship and authority. When Jesus makes a statement in, in verse 19, he says, follow me, follow me, follow me. Now implicit in this response that they had to Jesus um, was an understanding that he owns, there's something about him that made them submit to him. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I want us to grab a hold of this. Jesus is not your buddy. Jesus is not simply our friend. Jesus is not simply our companion. Jesus is not simply our consoler. Jesus is Lord. And when he speaks, he expects a response. And so when he utters the words, follow me, behind that is a voice of authority. I created you. I know why you were born. And I have plans for your life, and I know why you're here. You drop what you're doing, Crawford, and you follow me. And so it's the idea of following. The third word, present tense, under this whole command is found right here in the text. There's responding, there is following, and thirdly, there is becoming. He says, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Inherent in that statement and what Jesus promises to do is the tacit implication that he's requiring submission. He's requiring submission. To become what Jesus wants us to be means that we submit to him. He says, you follow me and I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. His promise is to make them skilled agents of transformation. In fact, that's what we see in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. That's the reason why this is the law of first mention. Although the term discipleship is not mentioned here, it is the pattern of discipleship throughout the New Testament. 
He says, Lo, I'm with you always. Jesus calls us. He says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. How do you do that? By baptizing and teaching them all that I've commanded you. You are agents of spiritual transformation. Every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Every follower of Jesus Christ is an agent of spiritual transformation. And the only reason why, I shouldn't say the only reason why, it's a little exclusive, but the dominant reason why we are followers, we're saved, we have a relationship with him to begin with. It's not just about our own personal spiritual health, it's about the accomplishment of the vision and the plan and the mission and the will of God in the world. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So discipleship is a call to walk a new path. Secondly, discipleship is a call to embrace a new identity. We're totally different. Here I want to take you over to that classic text in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, beginning at verses uh, 14, uh, verses 25 and going through verse 33. The walk of a new path means that we're becoming something. To embrace a new identity means that we're being something. Now these great crowds are following Jesus, right? And Jesus, in this, in this paragraph, says to this great crowd, he says this to them. Listen to me. He says this to them. <laughs> Following me is expensive. It's extraordinarily expensive. I, I know that that's not what we're used to hearing. We want an easy believism gospel. We, we, want a, we want a Jesus that, you know, doesn't require much of us and we can incrementally keep giving over little bits and pieces of our lives to him and everything is wonderful. And I dole it out to him when I feel like I'm ready for that. After all, he's a loving, merciful God and he's sitting up there twiddling his thumbs and says, that's okay, Crawford, take as much time as you need to as necessary. If you get there, you get there. That's not the picture that's painted in the New Testament. The picture that's painted in the New Testament is a clarion clear call of God that requires a price to be paid. It's expensive. The very first verb here in the present tense is that uh, he, 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 he talks about cherishing this identity talks about cherishing, cherishing, cherishing me. Where do you get that from? Well, look at verse 25. It says, now great crowds accompanying him, and he turned and said to them. This is not selected. He's saying this to the whole crowd. He said to the crowd, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You can't be a follower of mine if you don't hate. And again, I've, I've, I, 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 I've spoken on this before. I don't believe that Jesus is talking about a literal hate here. Obviously, he's talking about a comparative love. But the point that he's trying to make, and I believe he's using hyperbole, if I would say it another way, what he's saying is this. If anyone would come to me, you you gotta, you got you, you to passionately love me. Your love for me must be so obvious and so strong and so definitive and so clear 
That although you love your wife, you love your mother, you love your children, you love your friends, yeah, I want you to love them, but when you contrast this love with that love, this love makes that love appear to be as hate. There is no comparison. And so if I would say this positively, and that's what I've tried to say here, Jesus is saying, if you come to me, if you follow me, I can't be one among many loves. I cannot be one among many, many relationships. You're going to have to make a decision that I am everything to you, that you cherish me, that you love me, you love me, you love me with every fiber of your being. You love me. And I happen to believe that one of the great problems in Christianity today is that we don't love Jesus like that. We love what we do for him. We love our Bible studies. We love our involvements. We love our strategies. But how much do we love the Lord? That's why Jesus said to Peter, remember when Peter was recommissioned as a disciple by Jesus. That's what John chapter 21 is all about. Jesus, had, Peter had betrayed Jesus, and Jesus put him back together. And he says, Jesus, Peter, come here. Come here, come here, buddy. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, yes, I love you. Yes, you're getting Peter. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Let me say it again, Peter. Do you love me? He said, yes. Then notice what Jesus says. Follow me. Follow me. The question is not whether or not you have Jesus. The question is, does Jesus have your heart? That's what the question is. We ask the wrong question. The question is not whether or not you have Jesus. That's not the right question. The question is, does Jesus have your heart? I got to hustle on here. The second present tense Verb, cherishing, embracing a new identity, cherishing. Number two, sacrificing. Verse 27, remember, Jesus is talking to the crowd here. He said, okay, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to, be, you're going to, you're going to follow me, you're going to walk with me, you're going to walk with me, okay. I, I'm not one among many loves. I'm not one among many. You love me with everything you got. And if need be, you have to sacrifice all of these other loves. Will you do it? Then secondly, he says, the, the other price you have to pay is, is sacrificing. He's calling us to suffer gladly. Verse 27 says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I said this before. He uses the word cross there not to talk about every little inconvenience in the Christian life. You know, somebody didn't like you, they talk about you, that's barren. No, that's not what he's talking about. But I think specifically in context, what he's talking about is what the cross represents. The cross represents reproach and shame and embarrassment. Are you willing, are you willing to identify me in such a way 
that you will embrace the shame and embarrassment that you might have to go through because you're identified with me? See, discipleship's more than a process. It's more than a program. This is what I'm calling you to, buddy. I'm not calling you to some image management. and I'm not calling you to some cultural Christianity. I'm not calling you to some way of life that everybody else that likes you lives. But I'm calling you to gladly embrace the suffering of the cross. You going to do that? Third verb. Actually, technically, the sixth verb. Committing. So in terms of embracing this new identity, we cherish him. We, we, we suffer willingly. But we also commit. We, we, we count the cost here. Now, for the sake of time, he gives two illustrations, and I'll summarize the illustrations. One is about, about a man who wants to build a tower, and he, he doesn't even figure out how much the thing is going to cost him or whatever. He just said, I intend to do this, and whatever, and he runs out of money. Another one has to do with, uh, uh, you know, someone that's going to war and uh, uh, doesn't, doesn't count the cost in terms of the resources that he needs to defeat the army. And he said, this is crazy. What he's saying here is this. As a follower of Jesus, no, you don't just blow your brains out. You, you, you are cognizant of the fact that a commitment to Jesus is expensive and it costs something. Are you committing to do that? Are you willing to pay intentionally? That's what he's saying. And Jesus, Jesus said this to the crowd. He says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, you run off here and talk about how you're my follower because you kind of ate of the loaves and fish that I did or the miracles and you were a part of that kind of thing. Hey, stop it. Don't, don't drop the D word to other people unless you count the cost. Are you in? So, a call to discipleship is a call to walk a new path. Secondly, a call to discipleship is a call to embrace a new identity. This is who you are. And it's not cheap, it's very expensive. And thirdly, a call to discipleship is a call to live on mission. Luke chapter 24. This is Luke's rendition of the Great Commission. The disciples, all there. Can you imagine? He's put them back together. Now he is telling them what they're going to need to do in order to change the world. He says, beginning of verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things. 
And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I'm going to jump around here a little bit, Chris. I want you to, I want you to look at verse 48 before I, I get to the other two observations. The, the, the seventh verb here is identifying. Identifying. Verse 48, he says, and you are witnesses of these things. Well, what he's saying is this, look, 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 it's not just that you saw these things, you experienced these things. You experienced my love and forgiveness. You were there with me, Peter, James, and John. You were on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah came down. You, you, you were on the Sea of Galilee when I shouted out, peace be still. You were there when the woman touched the hem of my garment and she was healed. You, you, you heard all of that. You, 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 you touched me in my post-resurrection body. You are witnesses of these things. Don't, don't run from this stuff. Listen to me, church. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Don't sell out your Christianity. You know what Jesus has done for you. You remember how he changed your life? You remember how he saved your soul? You remember how he cleaned you up? You remember how he broke those uh, habits in your lives and those addictions that you have? Hey, don't, don't, get, don't, get, don't get silent on them now. You are witnesses of these things. Why, why, why do we back up now? That's what he was saying to them. Somebody worried, oh, 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 oh you, you, no, don't, you, you saw this. You experienced the life, this life-transforming message. You didn't just hear what I said. You, 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 you're, you're portraits of it. All of us here who know Jesus, we're portraits of the grace of God. Why are we silent? Which leads to the second one, proclaiming. Identifying, number two, proclaiming, or number eight, proclaiming. Verses 46 and 47, he, he, he reminds them of the gospel. That he is the gospel. He said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name, beginning from Jerusalem. This is what we live for, church. This is what we live for. We center on Jesus. And this is the message that comes from our mouths. It is the glorious gospel that there is hope and that there is forgiveness of sins and we're calling the world to turn from their sin and to trust this glorious Savior who died for them. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, this, you're here at the right time. He died for you. Forgiveness and repentance is yours. If you'll turn from him and receive him as Savior and Lord, he will wash away all your sins. And that's the message that liberates the world. And a disciple is a steward of that message. Not the paid professionals, but every person that names the name of Jesus Christ is a steward of that message. Identifying, proclaiming, and then the last one is relying. I love the way Jesus wraps up the Great Commission over in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But here he says, verse 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. Stay in the city 
until you are clothed with power from on high. This, this is, this is uh, foreshadowing what was going to take place a few days later in, 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 in the upper room as they were gathered together there in the city of Jerusalem and waiting. Now think with me, if you will. Think with me, if you will. These disciples had been with Jesus. They had touched his post-resurrection body. They had eaten with him. For more than 40 days, he had answered every single question that they had. They had experience, they had exposure, they had education. And yet he said, stay here. Don't leave. The only way we're going to make disciples and multiply disciples is not primarily through a system or a program. Did you hear what I said? Too many of us are too quick to get to the how without having the what. The way we make multiplying disciples is in and through the power of the Holy Spirit to rely and depend upon him, you will fall flat on your face with a notebook full of charts and how-tos and systems and structures. You will fail every single time. And that's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. So this is, as you're going to hear in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get very practical because you have to. And by the way, the, the, the Bible's very practical but what, what, I don't know what it is about us. We, 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 we like to trade one for the other. You don't trade one for the other. Discipleship is organic. It is the Spirit of God exalting Christ in and through individual believers and calling the world to himself through us, pouring into Christians, encouraging them, commissioning them and challenging them to do likewise. So if we're going to be a disciple-making church, we're going to run around here with on all of our stationery, on our website, what our mission statement is. I don't want us to be a bunch of liars and hypocrites. I don't either do I want us to be naive. Because you say it, Memorize it, repeat it, doesn't make it real. But what makes it real is when we decide to walk a new path. What makes it real is when we determine to embrace a new identity. What makes it real is when we decide and determine to live on mission. Will you stand with me, please? I'm pretty passionate about this because I'm at a stage in my life where this is my last go around. Seriously, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I ain't planning to go nowhere. Uh, be preaching from my walker until I'm at least 97. But no, but seriously, uh, I, I, I've just seen the legacy. I've just seen the legacy of folks who played tag with Christianity, even in my own life. And, and, you know, you, you, your life is too important and the cause of Christ in this world is too urgent for us to keep playing tag with why we were born. 
We were born to reproduce. And we were born to be like Jesus. And we were born to use every platform that he's given to us to call people to walk a new path, to embrace a new identity, and to live on mission. And that's the call of discipleship. It's as simple as that. Will you respond? And once again, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, today is your day. And remember, don't be so arrogant to think that you'll make it home alive. Right now is your moment. You can say, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin and I trust you as my Savior and Lord. If there's any prayer needs that you may have here, um, and as William said, if, if, if you've not been baptized, listen, it's an act of obedience. Doesn't, it's not a requirement for salvation, but it is an act of obedience. If you've not been baptized, and we, we, we love, to, love to baptize you. You can come up here, there'll be our elders and, and Stephen ministers and um, other leaders and staff in our church and would love to pray with you, whatever your need might be. Father, thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for who you are. Lord, even in my own life, I pray that you will help me to fight the battle and uh, of competing priorities, even good stuff stands in the way of the call to make disciples, Lord. And may we all make decisions based upon the path that we have stepped onto, the identity that we're to embrace, and that mission that is to be our life. Lord Jesus, I pray that in this church, Discipleship would be a dynamic reality. Help us and teach us over these next few weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.